You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2021 film, The Long Halloween. So, this story is a Batman movie. Because we did a superhero movie earlier with Unbreakable, but that's like, you know, it's not based on an actual comic book. Yeah. And it's... And I wanted to do, you know, do an actual good old-fashioned famous superhero story. So it's a Batman movie. And so this is early somewhat, it's because this is based on the graphic novel in the 90s by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. That was the famous graphic novel written in the mid-90s. And some backstory, the 80s and 90s was considered like the prime era of graphic novels for the Batman stories. You had... Alan Moore of the Watchmen fame, he wrote The Killing Joke. Frank Miller, who would later do 300 in Sin City, he did The Dark Knight Returns and a couple others. Loeb and Sale did this. They did a few more. They did one with Catwoman, which is some of the elements of her stories borrowed from that graphic novel. And then you had Nightfall, a famous graphic novel story, which told the story of Bane. So this was like a prime. This is one of considered one of the greatest novels of the Batman. Mm-hmm. So it takes place... Because another one was Year One, which was written by Frank Miller, which is Year One of Batman, him just starting out. I can tell is that this takes up shortly thereafter. Yeah. It's pretty earlier, early, early in, in his, his career, career, but he's been yeah. doing it for about a year or so. Yeah. But Gotham is still corrupt, and it's run not by a supervillain, mind you, but a good old-fashioned mafioso, Carmine Falcone. Yeah. He is the Roman Right. He controls everything. He has everybody bribed. This very powerful family. He is implied that he also has a sister who also runs Chicago. So he's got his hands into everything. Although he does have uh, a rival family, yeah. the Maronis, correct? Sal Maroney. And, and they're, uh, between the two of them, they've kind of carved up the turf, so to speak. And there's obviously the, the, uh, obligatory uh, rivalry and uh, 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 killings and so forth mm-hmm. going on between those two families as they also extend their uh, tentacles of corruption deep into uh, Gotham society, uh, Gotham uh, uh, government. Uh, yeah. It's a very, very, right in the, right in a very typical um, uh, Batman story. Yes. Got- Gotham is is and just about hopelessly corrupt. Yes, and we see the very first thing. Um, there's a wedding party because it's a mafioso. There's always going to be a wedding party. Yeah, you know? yeah. Falcone is meeting with Bruce Wayne, and they're trying to manage some arrangement. And it's hinted that there was some sort of past they have with each other, but we don't know exactly what it is. And then Bruce. But Bruce, he's trying to make a deal with Bruce Wayne to get uh, invest money into Falcone's company, and, but Bruce Wayne refuses and he leaves. Yeah, and it, wasn't he trying to talk him into doing that? Because if, if, I wanted to clear this up myself. It's not 
real clear to me, but he he's having a cash flow problem because he's got some money that he's not able to launder. Yeah, because we right? see later on he's got this warehouse that's literally filled to the brim with uh, unseen amounts of money. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And um, at, around that same time, Bruce Wayne meets with Harvey Dent and not Commissioner Gordon. I forget what. He's Captain, Captain Gordon. Captain yes. Gordon. So he's not Commissioner yet. But And they're meeting up to basically find it to strategize a plan to take down Falcone. Because it's realized this is on Halloween, and Halloween, one of Falcone's men was killed. And it was revealed that this day before he was set to testify against Falcone, mm-hmm. Dent's the DA, and he's getting extremely frustrated because any attempt he's made to try to take down Falcone has been stopped by the reach of his power. Yeah, and the and crucial thing here is he's got sufficient reach to be able to pay off just about anybody he needs to, including juries and trials. Yes. And so that happens, and then he but Dent also admires Batman because Batman has that ability to be a vigilante, and well, Batman's famously always has that code where he doesn't go too far. He's not the Punisher where he he'll kill people. Right. He just beats them up, but he always, but he still go. He still is willing to bend the rules, just not break them. Right. And, and they all three agree to do precisely that: just bend the rules. Without breaking them. And around that same time, Catwoman is sort of, she is spying on them and she gets, she's trying to attract the attention of Batman. And they have a, no pun intended, cat and mouse kind of game. Yeah. And then later on we see that she leads them to this warehouse that is filled with all the Falcone money because Falcone has not found a way to launder it. Yeah. And... Eventually, he meets up with Dent, and they say, well, we need to strike it. This may not necessarily be a, a legal way of doing it, but there's nothing else we can do. We want to hurt him. Let's set, the, let's set the warehouse on fire and burn all of his money. Yeah. And around that same time, it goes on. It gets closer to Christmas. Another associate of Falcone is murdered. In the first time he was murdered on Halloween, a jack-o'-lantern was yeah. placed. Yeah. Now it's Thanksgiving. Another group of his men were murdered. A cornucopia because it's Thanksgiving. Yes. It's set there. Now we realize that there is a holiday killer, a serial killer, that is targeting people, mainly Falcone associates, on holidays. Yep. And that's when Batman starts to investigate. He goes to Arkham Asylum and meets a guy, the Calendar Man, whose name is Julian Day. And (laughs) they... uh, Julian gives him sort of vague notes of what's really going on. Now, I think it's clearer in the graphic novel, right? Julian knows who it is, correct? But uh, it's a little less clear in the film. So, but it's still there, and he gives him vague hints and clues. And it's around the same time we see the family struggles of both commission. Captain Gordon yeah. and Harvey Dent. Uh, Captain Gordon has a wife and a couple of kids. For those who know Barbara Gordon, his daughter, who's, it's also the name of his wife, but his daughter Barbara, she later becomes Batwoman. Yeah. But she's just like a little kid at this point. Yeah. But there's a strain on their relationship because he's always being wrapped up in this work. And it's even more of a strain in Harvey Dent and his wife, Gilda. And there's even... There's a somewhat of a backstory between Gilda and somebody she knew in college. Yeah, and, that went to Oxford. Yes. Yeah, and and then you should keep in uh, bring bring up here at the same point. There's there's also uh, portrayed uh, 
family difficulties in the Falcone family. Yes. He so has go a ahead son and, named yeah. Alberto. Now, he sent Alberto away when he was very young to all the prestigious colleges. Yeah. And he's very smart and well-educated, but because he never spent time with the family when they were making their bones, he was sort of considered an outsider. Now, this the graphic novel in the, in the movie is filled with many, many references to the Godfather. Yeah. So you could say this guy is the Fredo of the, <laughs> yeah. this group, but yeah. he doesn't, the father really doesn't like him, and, there's, and he's very upset because there was someone in his past that he knew. Right. And it goes on, then it's Christmas. Now the word about the holiday killer is getting out, and you can't have a Batman movie without who? The Joker. <laughs> now the Joker is getting jealous because... Somebody's stealing he's, his limelight. He's stealing his limelight because he says there's only room for one crazy killer in this city, and it's me. <laughs> so he breaks out. He harasses Harvey Dent because he thinks it's him because he's just killing Falcone associates. Right. He's not going after civilians. While they duke it out with the Joker... The killer strikes again, killing another Falcone associate. I believe this time it was his bodyguard. Because yeah. it goes on throughout. Yeah. The, the list uh, grows long. Yeah. yeah. And eventually Joker goes crazy. And he go, uh, New Year's, a week later when it's New Year's, he plans to do his usual thing. I feel like he does this all the time where he flies over Gotham, spreads some sort of poison gas. Yeah. And this time, Batman starts thinking it's the Joker. But the Joker laughs as, I want to get this guy, too, because he's stealing my thunder. Yeah. So, But he stops the Joker, but there's like a charity drive thing Bruce Wayne is on with Falcone. And Selina Kyle is there. She's, you know, the alter ego of Catwoman. Right. There's some sort of playful relationship with Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. They sort of are aware of each other. They want to make it work out, but they feel they're too different. But um, Kyle talks with Alberto on the boat trip, and he's talking about her, his backstory and this woman that he loved when he was in college and how Father Carmine took her away from him. And while that happens, the, we see the holiday killer. He kills Alberto, and they struck again, and then by his body, there's a champagne glass for, for New, New Year's. Year's yeah. So now that it's going on, and then because this is split into two parts, that's where part one ends. Yes, we we have to make this clear. This is actually two films. Yes, right, and that's where the first one ends. Yes, and then there is another film, another hour and thirty minutes. Yeah, and <laughs> eventually the- it's going on. More Falcone associates are killed, but by I believe it was the Fourth of July one. That changes. Now it's Sal Maroney. And right. while Sal Maroney's talking with his father, and the father is talking about making peace, you know, with everything, his father is killed. Right. And then around this time, Maroney decides to talk to Harvey Dent because he feels that his father was talking about making peace with the law. And Maroney's going to agree to testify to Dent that he will try to get Falcone in prison. Right. Around this time, more his relationship with Gilda is getting more and more strained. Um, she, they're fighting more often, and there's this thing about them wanting to have kids. She feel she doesn't want her. She feels she can't. Mm-hmm. And around this time, in Fourth of July, they would do the testimony. But you can tell Dent's getting more and more angry. He has these inner monologues. He's very frustrated. Yes. And while he does the testimony of Maroni. Roni has this like little, little bottle of, he said it was like heartburn, like Pepto-Bismol or something. Yeah, now this is in, 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 a, in a trial. Yes. During a trial. 
He, it's actually deadly corrosive acid. He throws it in Dent's face, and we all know who Harvey Dent is now. It gets half of his face, and now he becomes Two-Face, yep. and he has now lost it. He has become the villain. He goes on the run. He starts killing Falcone associates, and then Falcone, we should also mention, has also gone... Uh, taking it to the next level, he's trying. He uses poison ivy to try to seduce Bruce Wayne yeah. to get him to sign over his money to back Falcone. Yes. To, so he's hired poison ivy, Joker, the Penguin, Scarecrow, Scarecrow, Mad Hatter, all for two purposes. Right, it's to try to get Wayne to uh, bankroll his operations, but also to try to find the Holiday Killer and get rid of that person as well. Yeah, he's so, doing two things with that. Yeah, eventually, but Catwoman kind of figures out what's going on. She rescues Bruce Wayne, and he has to try to undo the damages that caused. And also, but also, he's also Bruce Wayne's also got to stop the Scarecrow, right, and the Mad Hatter, and all the reg, the Gotham villains. So anyway, in Dent's gone crazy. He meets Solomon Grundy, the guy that lives in the sewers in Gotham. Right. Eventually, they come to realize they think that Harvey Dent is the holiday killer. Yeah. All the evidence points towards him. They found the guns that were used in his basement. There's an Oxford uh, banner, so they feel that yeah. there's a connection between him and Alberto. Right, and and even the uh, uh, baby bottle uh, nipples, which were being used for silencers, are yeah. found there too. Yeah, and But eventually he breaks, he gets Solomon Grundy to help him take down Maroney, and he kills Maroney for payback. Capture... Harvey Dent put him in prison or Arkham, not prison, Arkham. And the last shot, sort of the last shot of the last big reveal, he's in prison or Arkham and he says Gilda. And then we we go to Batman's in the basement looking at Gilda. It's revealed she was the holiday killer. She was in love with Alberto. They met at Oxford. They had a child and she was, they're going to marry but Falcone, uh, who's now been taken down by the Batman, we should argue. He, yes, they all, Batman, Batman and Catwoman team up. They saved the day. Yeah, she she was the Falcone did not approve of their marriage, and they it's, uh, they forced her to have an abortion, and she married Harvey Dent because she felt he he could avenge her for the wrongs done to the Carmine Falcone yeah. family. Yeah. But she could see that he was not getting anywhere, so she took it upon herself to become the holiday killer and killed everyone in the Falcone family. Yeah. And But if Batman does not, because he just wants to know, are you done with this? Is this done? Yeah. She says, I'm completely done. And so he doesn't send her to Arkham or even, he lets Harvey Dent take the fall for it. Yeah. And at the very end... Um, it's Halloween again. It's been a full year, and now kids are coming to the door at the Wayne Manor, which is the first time in a very long time. Yeah, Bruce is now with Selena. They decided to keep try to make their relationship work, and he's talked to Gordon on the rooftop, and they say, "What what we did is it worth it?" And they, Gordon says, "We won't know for a very long time." Yeah. So that's it. I I wanted to do this one because I want to do a superhero movie. I mean, Batman's probably the most famous. I figured I wanted to do this one more so than the Nolans because this just came out, and I want more people to take notice because it's animated. It's not live action, yeah. yeah. And it was, I think, it's direct to on demand. It's on HBO Max, which I think more means not as many people are going to be aware of it. So I just wanted to bring some awareness because I enjoyed this movie. It was actually a very good movie, and uh, I, I think even though the the story is a bit convoluted at points. Um, 
it does raise all the kind of the classical issues that the Batman series does. And uh, I know that what comes to mind when I uh, watch uh, the portrayal of Gotham and the amount of corruption that's involved, right, uh, in in the not only in the government, but in the kind of upper echelons. Very interesting how they portray Wayne here. There's this connection he has with Falcone in that very kind of, as it were, uh, family uh, theme of having to return favors for, uh, for favors done. I mean, they show uh, Bruce witnessed his father, a doctor, saving Falcone's life after he had been shot multiple times in Wayne Manor, right? So that that reveals what the connection is and why Falcone would even approach Bruce Wayne to uh, do him a favor with uh, uh, laundering money. Uh, so it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, the, the Bruce is on both sides of that divide in this story, whereas very often in, you know, uh, other versions of the Batman story, he's more clearly just on the side of the good, as it were, or the or the legal, right? Well, here, you know, there's that connection. And it, it raises, it just raises a very interesting question that comes along with uh, portrayals of societies that are, um, to use a phrase, that Hobbesian. Uh, Thomas Hobbes is uh, very famous for having uh, given very explicit formulation to a, a theory, a political, uh, philosophical theory, and also a, a theory of what morality is called uh, social contract theory. And when you read it, uh, it's very, I won't say cynical, but it certainly, it, it certainly has a tincture of that because the organizing principle around which the theory revolves is the notion of self-interest. And ultimately, according to his picture of things, uh, uh, people enter into kind of a a contract with one another simply because it's the second best alternative. People are essentially, according to his view, uh, egotistical, egoistic, selfish. And if they could do it with impunity, they would just simply go after what they want, when they want, and... uh, with little or no concern for other people. Problem is, everybody, according to Hobbes, and he's right about this, uh, everybody is uh, about equally uh, adept at doing something like that, or uh, everybody is equally adept in terms of the powers they have to acquire what they want when they want. But they're also equally inept and vulnerable uh, because uh, he says, you know, if everybody did behave in this fashion, uh, you would have... Uh, massive levels of insecurity for individuals because nobody can, as it were, stand watch all the time. <laughs> You've got to sleep, for instance, and uh, you would have people taking each other's property and lives more, more or less on a consistent basis. So uh, he calls it a war of all against all, right? And so he says at some point in human history, humans realized this and decided that it would, a second best alternative would be to set up rules and regulations and some sort of a governing body that had the power to enforce those rules and regulations. And so we sat down and we kind of did this 
it's unclear whether he thinks this happened historically or not or consciously or not and uh so society is developed for that reason and uh uh, it, it, I always get the impression when I read Hobbes that he's describing the kind of environment that would be around for crime families warring against each other because they clearly sometimes enter into these arrangements. They're tenuous, granted, but they realize they're doing it to protect themselves, so to speak, and maybe buy a little time and see what they can do. And eventually, a little while down the road, they might call in a favor or they might turn on uh, the people they agree with. But there's enough of that, there are enough kind of a, uh, the skeleton of such agreements to, to keep a stability, a, a, a tenuous stability, but a stability nevertheless. And uh, um, again, I, I always read Hobbes and think, you know, he, he's describing something like Gotham. Right. And uh, it, it's interesting, I think, because they, they do, to some extent, pull Batman into that role. He's not clear cut like Gordon, for instance. Gordon's a pretty much by the book uh, lawman. Um, he's uncomfortable, I think, with this little meeting they have about bending the rules but not breaking them. Batman's not. He, he's mm-hmm. quite willing to bend the rules although like you said he does have his own uh code but he's a little little further as it were to the right on that code willing to to uh work extra legally and you see that he also doesn't have any problem letting gilda off the hook for working extra legally and why is that it's because he unlike maybe the organized crime families sees that the good that is done uh, by these people working extra legally, it, it's not that it redounds to his benefit. He cares more that it's re, it redounds to society's benefit. And that, I think, is a crucial distinguishing feature that makes Batman, even though he's willing to bend those rules, less Hobbesian than those organized crime families. And that's really well done. I, I like the way they portray that in this in this film. And there is an interesting element to this because one of the things you always, for when you read the Go- the Batman comics, you're like, why would anyone want to live in Gotham? I mean, there's you got the Joker who every time he gets captured, he just breaks out again and kills more people. I mean, at some point, even the most anti-death penalty person around would just say, you know what? Maybe we should just uh, enough you know, is enough. Yeah, I mean, this guy's too dangerous, but. One of the things that's kind of brought up in this, and even in the graphic novel, is the escalation factor of Batman. Because yeah. people talk about, we didn't have people like the Joker or Poison Ivy or the Mad Hatter before you came in. They only came, you came in, and then you know people like Falcone got desperate because now you're really taking a dent. You're, this is another factor they didn't see. So they're amping up the ante. Because that's even, there was a... And Batman Begins, that last line he has with Gordon, when Gordon's talking about escalation. We have semi-automatics, they have fully automatics. We have Kevlar, they have armor-piercing rounds. We, we got you, they got this guy. And he pulls out the Joker card, teasing the Dark Knight. Yeah. So it's that, so you wonder if Batman's only making problems worse, but it's he was trying to make a difference, so 
if you if he leaves now, is it going to be even worse if there's no Batman? To yeah, it's, it's almost like he started a cycle that's out of control and nobody can stop it. And I, I think that's a, a interesting mirror on a lot of societies uh, re, in the real world that are like that, that are uh, uh, where there's tribal alliances, family alliances, and private armies, so to speak. And um, the the local populace in these areas typically just wants just wants to go about their business and not have not have constant warfare going on. So they're willing, as it were, to back the strongest horse, the strongest local horse, as it were, hoping that that will quell the uh, 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 conflict, right? But then you have another locale with another group, and they tend to back that uh, another comp- competing group, and it escalates, right? I'm thinking of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. That's kind of the way they've been uh, for decades, right? And it, once you start that cycle, you're right. It's, it's very hard to stop it, and it's very hard to impose a rule of law uh, because the tricky bit is you have to get the warring parties to agree to buy into it and as it were give up their i won't say right but their ability to strike out on their own for their own reasons be it revenge be it collection of debts whatever right Uh, They have to be willing to give that up and give that kind of a power to a third party, so to speak, the government. And you can see there's just areas of the world where that just they just can't get to that step. So the fighting continues. It escalates or it stagnates, but it continues at a level. And uh, I think that's part of the power of the Batman series. It's a reminder to Americans of how lucky we are that we are not in a society like that. I think that's part of the reason, part of the appeal of Batman. I think that's part of the appeal of uh, the Western genre, because that uh, harkens back to a time when, when the United States and some parts of, of uh, continental United States, we were much closer to being Iraq and, and uh, Afghanistan or Gotham Uh, than we are now and we kind of look back and realize man are we lucky we didn't do this and uh, are we lucky that the people you know our our ancestors uh, made the the, the, at some point that decision to uh, put their interests second toward uh, second to respect for law and order right it's it's a it's a hard one thing and sometimes it takes civilizations hundreds of years to get to that point. And I think that's, like I said, I think that's the uh, the power of this genre. It reminds us of that. Because even if Batman is a vigilante, we mentioned earlier, he still has this code, and there is still lines he's not willing to take, unlike somebody like Harvey Dent at the end, where he is gleefully killing, kills Maroney, he kills um, Falcone's henchmen who try to take him out, and he has... He, He's the one that's now he's crossed over, and and it's similar to the Dark Knight and Harvey Dent's fall in that movie, and he just only believes in 
50-50 chance with his yeah. two-headed coin. What's kind of interesting there, too, is you see Harvey going over. The question arises is after he has gone over and he has become Two-Face, um, is there any is there any motivation left in him that is uh, more oriented toward justice, or is it simply revenge? And at that point, it's just revenge for, it looks like for it's what Maroney did him. to him. Yeah, and he's not quite as bad a character as Joker, whose only motivation is he just loves sowing chaos and killing people, and there's justice and revenge have absolutely nothing to do with it. He literally just enjoys it. It's all a big joke to him. That's the whole mm-hmm. point. Um, so, you know, he's uh, there's that spectrum of cases, and Dent's not that far over on the Joker side. He's a little closer toward the center, but you're right. He's still just motivated by revenge by the end, and that does leave... It lead to interesting questions, you know, conceptual questions. What exactly is the relationship between revenge and justice, right? And that's always explored in these yeah. in the universes. The identity of justice was also looked in uh, Harvey Dent's wife, Gilda, because yeah. she is the holiday killer. Now, at the end of the um, graphic novel, it's a bit different. There was no relationship between her and Alberto. Yeah. Um, actually, Alberto faked his death and he shows up at the end they originally think he's the holiday killer yeah but then they go move it to dent but yeah he wasn't the holiday yeah. killer i actually like that change i yeah, think it's that, better it makes a bit more sense because even at the end i'm still confusing like listen who killed who and who did that yes yeah. this, this one's a little yeah. bit more concrete in the graphic novel as far as i can tell i'm not quite all the way through it but as far as i can tell there's more than one holiday t- killer too it's implied uh, that yeah, yeah she t- Picked up where he left, or, or he picked up where she left yes, off. Correct, but she did it more because she wanted she wanted to help him, and she felt he wasn't getting anywhere. Yeah, she felt by doing this, she would be doing him a huge favor. Right. And the the very last line in the graphic novel as she's burning the evidence, where that in the at the end of the graphic novel, Batman's not there. She's yes. just talking to herself. She says, "I believe in Harvey Dent," which is his famous slogan, and that's always been quoted. Yeah. When he's Another running Batman. from office, that, that's yeah. his. Uh... So it's it's and that's also in Dark Knight, where it's taking this guy who is this bright idealist, and you believe in him because you think he's going to be the one that fixes things. Yeah. But when he, you know, when things happen to him, and he, and it, he's just broken completely. Yeah, and the, you know, I, I think th- there's another theme there. Um, the uh, uh, message seems to be that in the case of Gotham. Uh, you, you, the, there will be no successful Harvey Dent. You will always have the level of corruption being too high uh, to overcome. Yeah, and that makes me think of the Batman Begins with Ra's al Ghul and his League of Shadows and how extreme he is, where he his idea was, we see Gotham is beyond saving. Nothing's going to stop it. So what do we do? Just burn it to the ground. Destroy it completely. And they said, we did it because this League of Shadows has been around forever. It says, we did this when the Romans were getting too corrupt. We did this, you know, in London and other places. So it's time for Gotham. And yeah. that's the extreme even Harvey Denton wouldn't go to, where yeah. even if it's innocent people, we just got to burn it down. It's, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly not. He, 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 he does want to. Uh, in some way or another, uh, well, first of all, not kill everybody, right? But uh, in some way or another, even if it is uh, doomed to failure, 
uh, attempt to preserve some kind of social order for the innocent. And yeah, uh, Razal Gul, you know, it's it's hopeless. We're just going to burn it out like it's a hornet's nest, right? There are no innocent hornets. We're just going to burn the whole damn thing down uh, because uh, there is no alternative, according to his view. Yeah. Bleak view. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so interesting because this we see these Batman movies, but the recent ones lately. We've seen the trailer for the one that's going to come out in just a few months. It's extremely serious. The Riddler is going to be the main guy and he is going he looks like he's a serial killer and you you think about the 60s Batman with Adam <laughs> West and how goofy it was and my question one of my questions have is do Batman movies have to be this serious and have these or can you just have you know batman in a goofy suit and saying some days you just can't get rid of a bomb yeah because yeah. even when you because the last silly batman movies were the joel schumacher ones with george clooney oh, and val kilmer and, they and, were I can, awful. and even the the last tim burton one still i thought that was too silly so do batman movies have to be this serious or can they be is silly? There, yeah, again, we're talking about a spectrum here, right? Mm-hmm. The very, very serious ones like this one, and with, with the very bleak messages they send about human society and corruption. Uh, and on the other side, like you said, the the the, the just goofy, funny uh, uh, 60s television series. Now, somewhere in the middle, I think you could pull it off. That's kind of what the Tim Burton ones were. Where you have a comedic elements, right? It, but it's not so serious. Now, a, a movie comes to mind that you're, um, as you're talking about that that I, I kind of liked. It's not a great movie. The reason I like it is because I have a predilection for the fictional character and also the guy that did the soundtrack, Jerry Goldsmith. Um, 1994's The Shadow. Um, it's not the greatest film in the world, but it's a funny mix of the serious and the comedic, and it it also is a good send-up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usne.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, where were the other drugs going?